Namaskar. When Swami Vivekanand was speaking on dharmic principles and sounding the death knell of all fanaticism in the parliament of world religions in 1893, there was another eminent Indian scholar in attendance, whom Swami Vivekanand himself admired, Veerchand Raghavji Gandhi, who was representing the Jains at the parliament. The words that made the American newspaper Buffalo Carrier say, of all the Eastern scholars, it was this youth whose lectures on Jain faith and conduct was listened to with the greatest of interest and attention, were premised on an ancient way of life that has richly added to the broader dharmic fold in India and beyond, Jainism. Besides being among the most well-educated and prosperous communities in India today, Jains have dedicatedly stood firm on Bhagwan Mahavir's push for non-violence, truth, and non-attachment for spiritual liberation over millennia even in the face of immense persecution. Today on Mahavir Jayanti, to discuss this and more, we have the privilege of having with us Jain Samani, Dr. Chaitanya Pragyaji, a senior disciple of Acharya Sri Maharshamaniji, uh, the 11th Acharya of the Jain Shwetambar Therapanthi tradition. Dr. Pragya was initiated by His Holiness Acharya Mahapragyaji in the benign presence of Acharya Tulsiji in 1986. She's a professor in the Jain Vishwa Bharati Institute and has been working in the Florida International University in the United States for promoting Jain studies and research in the Western academia. She is the founding director of the Bhagwan Mahavir International Research Center and has organized many national and international conferences on Jain philosophy in India and abroad. She has published more than five books and more than 35 research papers in various reputed journals. Her research interest includes genealogy and comparative philosophy and religion. I would like to welcome you, Dr. Pragya. Thank you. Uh, so to begin with, uh, I wanted to uh, ask you about the premise uh, on which we uh, base Jain thought. Uh, particularly, what do you think Bhagwan Mahavir brought forth that was fundamentally novel and reinforced or went against the dharmic way of life and thinking as it stood at that point. Uh, because Bhagwan Mahavir and his philosophy emerged in the milieu of a certain Indic and dharmic legacy and tradition. Uh, so please tell us a little about the life and teachings of Bhagwan Mahavir in this context. So it is a, a very great opportunity for me to have such, a, uh, such an enlightened environment of interview about uh, Jainism. See, uh, Lord Mahavir comes in the long tradition of uh, Jain Tirthankars, according to Jainism, in each epoch, each in, in each time cycle, there are 24 Tirthankars, uh, religious uh, founders of Jainism. And among the 24, the Lord, Lord, last Tirthankar is Lord Mahavir. He taught the same kind of religion which, were, which was taught by all uh, preceding 23 Tirthankars. So his purpose was not to raise voice against any tradition or any uh, cultural issues, but he was teaching the same kind of religion, which is full of spirituality, nonviolence, detachment, and uh, you can say non-absolutism, and also focused on final liberation of soul. He uh, taught especially three, he emphasized on three main principles which are into practice uh, till today in 
all over in all Jain community. That is non-violence, non-possession, and non-absolutism. These are very unique in the sense that though non-violence is taught by all religions, so it is not new to Jainism only. But what Jainism has said about non-violence is uh, really very fascinating, very important from ecological point of view also, and for, from a spiritual point of view also. So Jainism has gone very deep into, uh, into non-violence, and it has taught that the life of all different types of species and living beings and human beings is very important to maintain even the ecological order, ecological balance. And for a spiritual purpose also, we have to be very much non-violent in our behavior, in our thinking, in our attitude, and also in our all actions. So to extreme uh, level, uh, the concept of non-violence has reached in Jain tradition or, or is followed in Jain tradition. So that is the um, main important thing which we have to learn. Uh, most of the religions talks about um, uh, religion or non-violence, but uh, they mostly think that uh, human beings or fellow beings should not be killed, but they don't think about the animals, they don't think about the natural resources, that they are also having life and they should also be not violated, unnecessary. So that is the great uh, thing which we have to learn from this concept of Ahinsa, which taught especially by Mahavir and all Jain Tirthankars in, in the long tradition of Jainism. And second is non-attachment. Uh, Mahavir said that the main cause of violence is a possession. So how you can be more and more detached to the material world, material things, material comforts, pleasures, Whatever is necessary, we, we can use, but uh, it doesn't mean we have to be attached to them. So that is the main thing which we have to understand that because of uh, attachment, we are going into violence. Either we are attached to the position, either we are attached to the property, either we are attached to some uh, name and fame or uh, cultural uh, dogmas, etc. So we have to be very much clear that if we are following religion, in true sense, then we have to be more and more non-violent rather than to be attached to anything. So that is a detachment and uh, it also uh, has brought cultural understanding, mutual understanding and uh, what we say tolerance in Jain practices. Next is uh, non-absolutism. It is very, very important principle, how we can live with peace with the people of other ideologies, other cultures, other uh, dogmas, or other practices. So it teaches that how we can be more tolerant and how we can accept the views which are also true, may not, uh, not be given in our particular tradition, but uh, if they are true, we have to accept. It doesn't matter where uh, these ideas are coming from. If other traditions are talking something good and right, we have to accept we, we should not go against to them, or we should not think that what we have said that is only the truth and not others. So these are three cardinal principles which are really very fascinating and which are having uh, potential to make the whole world one. And 
are capable to create a non-violent, peaceful, harmonious world order. Right. So these these are the th th things. Other things are very important. He said uh, very uh, uh, very what we say insightful philosophy about the cosmic order, about the life, about social uh, things also. So that will take too much time to explain. We'll be coming. <laughs> yeah, we'll be coming to yes. that. Uh, and yes. uh, I think it was very important uh, a certain point that you raised, which is that of non-absolutism. Uh, and uh, yes. we'll be having a discussion on that as part of uh, the Infinity Foundation as well. And uh, it is very interesting in the context of the emergence of Buddhism uh, thereafter as well, and in the broader kind of dharmic fold, uh, because be it ritualism, be it absolutism, be it certain aspects of uh, you know uh, practice that was happening at that point in time, I think it was uh, there was a certain element of novelty, or at least uh, the dogged kind of dedication towards these aspects, which was very important. And I think uh, as you mentioned, this does give a recipe for a more inclusive and pluralistic world, uh, which is based on non-violence and acceptance, essentially. Um, coming yes. to you as a, a you know, Samani or Jain nun, uh, you were initiated on uh, 18th April 1986 um, to spread the faith and to seek salvation through the rigorous practice of the Jain religion. Um, my question to you would be, uh, what made you embrace nunhood uh, and undertake your journey within Jainism or subsequently become an academic for Jain studies both in India and the US? <clears throat> okay, so very good question. Uh, see, uh, we are. Uh, I am born in a Jain family. Right. My mother is very much religious and he is very much uh, into spirituality. So she wanted that my all children should go on the path of spirituality. She used to tell us some uh, more uh, some uh, religious stories. Hmm? Some religious stories and used to tell the moral that see to be the spiritual is really uh, to have a meaningful life a purposeful life so you guys can think of it and that uh, moral has uh, inspired us to think about it and in the age of 13 i have decided that i have to give up everything which is worldly and should go on the path of the spirituality. So that is one uh, motivation which I have got from my mother, especially from my family environment also. And uh, we were also into religious practice from very childhood. So that all have supported to come on the path of the spirituality. So far as the uh, work in academic field is concerned, uh, since I am uh, very much interested in meditation and deep philosophical thinking. And that has uh, given me opportunity to work in this field, academic field, so that I can always be in touch of uh, some education, some knowledge and can explore what is within me and what is my goal of my life. So that was a very um, main uh, cause that I wanted to work in the field of academics and uh, my gurus, they have also seen some talent in me and they've given such opportunity to work in the field of uh, academics. And I have been working from last 35 years since the time of my initiation. I am continuously working in some universities or some colleges in India and abroad. And uh, I found that Jainism is really very, very uh, spiritualistic tradition, very non-violent, very peaceful and very uh, uh, insightful philosophy and religion. So I have to pursue it 
in my, for benefit of myself and also i have to promote it for the benefit of all humanity right. and that's why academic uh, field is a really very uh, great opportunity or great platform where we can talk uh, and the world can listen to us and i think that's a very important point as to uh, the engine with which society kind of functions is obviously with respect to uh, conceptualization of various ideas ideals uh, principles in a more relevant um, in a more practical sense as well and academia does give that um, you know the interface between uh, the domain of uh, you know principles and ideals and values uh, as well as something which is more functionally useful for humanity and the way in which that can be utilized for that purpose um so that is a very important point um coming to a, a slightly different subject within jainism and which has been looked at by yourself and you know jain uh, luminaries in the past um jainism touches upon the origin of life and you yourself have written on the subject uh with a we um scientific theories today uh could you tell us a little about this okay yeah it is good uh, see according to jainism uh, there are some realities which are fundamental non created ever uh, present and uh, eternal and among them soul is also there right. one of the six uh, fundamental realities one uh, is soul and life starts with the support of soul if soul is there then there is life if soul is not there then life is life, life cannot be um, expected in anything so the main source of life is soul and when soul comes into particular form of life or uh, then we recognize it that there is some life otherwise we we can't see the soul uh, directly because it is something non physical invisible non material conscious entity so i have said that uh, life is always there on the earth it was not uh, it was not the time when there was no such living being on the earth the life is from all the times and it is all the times on the earth in some way or other way in some form or other form since the soul is eternal so life is also in that sense found on the earth in all times so that is a uh, one thing i wanted to say and um, Uh, what you want to know about the life uh, what should i say next uh, could you please clear yeah. so that i can yes yes i also wanted to kind of uh, contextualize that discussion uh, in the said yeah. in terms of the scientific theories today so be it in terms of uh, the origin of the universe as well there are various modern conceptions which is a different question um, uh, which we we can address and shall address um, and also the idea of life itself as it has been uh, looked at in the modern biological sense um, be it in darwinian formalism uh, be it in the various other aspects that we look at when it comes to life uh, as we know it um, so in that context there are certain things uh, which come across as interesting and uh, you know slightly different from the conventional uh, modern conception of it um, so could you please tell us a little about that for instance you were mentioning about life having been there for you know a good amount of time um, uh, and you know there are also uh, the eschatological or the uh, you know mythological aspects or the religious aspects uh, where the dating of the the times when certain things came up in jainism as well for instance um may not quite co coincide with some of the aspects of modern scientific kind of thinking essentially um, so how does one kind of look at that and how does one reconcile that uh, okay okay so uh, the darwinian theory says that uh, 
in the first uh, there was one cellular body and from that body uh, we uh, with the course of time this uh, human life has emerged so jainism doesn't believe in such kind of uh, theories uh, they say that uh, the life is governed by the karmic principle and it is quite individual uh so uh, and it depends on the particular karmas of the living beings uh, that what kind of life they are going to take in particular time so it is a karmic principle which is being uh, which is uh, governing the life of all living beings and it is it was not the time when that there was just only uh, amoebas or one cellular bodies and no other uh, developed form of life were there according to jainism since jainism believes that uh, uh, humans are the um, living beings or uh, who are coming out of womb of some mother yeah. so unless there is some human being pre existing how human race can come out of it or come come out of the one uh, cellular body so that is not possible according to jainism yes there are certain species which uh, take birth in particular time uh, since uh, that time they are getting conducive environment for taking birth or for survival otherwise they are not found uh, in uh, in other time when their time is not favorable in their fame, favor so according to jainism some species can take birth in particular time and some other time they cannot be uh, found they can extinct but it doesn't mean that life is not there or life was not there uh, of uh, any other living beings then only the amoebas was there in the study uh, according to jainism human beings were also there all other types of living beings were also there from the very beginning of the universe yeah. and since the universe is eternal it is going on from the uh, time of immemorial according to all indian philosophical systems a time is cyclic and, and at the same time it is eternal so the same kind of cycle is going on right. and that's why all types of living beings are coming into existence and they are also uh, extinct uh, wishing with the time so new civilization starts uh, at particular time and reaches to the climax and then starts uh, Uh, falling down and comes to uh, co- complete collapse in that uh, collapse in that sense but it doesn't mean that there is no other living beings then only the nature uh, completely nature destroyed nature but uh, the some of the human beings are also uh, there in the aid of the uh, particular uh, civilization and the new civilization starts with them so it is not that the starting there were only amoebas or one cellular bodies and out of that all other higher species have developed with course of time that is not the theory one amoeba cannot convert into the higher state because it has no such kind of karmic uh, uh, karmic fruition in that particular life so it cannot develop in that state yes it can die and it can uh, come back to new life in a higher species so that is possible but we cannot say that all human beings are coming after uh, a long uh, journey and starting from amoebas so that is not the principle which jainism holds
But Samaniji, I mean, uh, for instance, just a small, uh, you know, uh, follow-up to this before we uh, move on to uh, the various dharmic kind of traditions that we have. Um, and this is a question that I had. Uh, I mean, I, I, we discussed this previously as well. Uh, the whole idea of empirical findings, right? I mean, the way in which science has been working, for instance, in terms of uh, backtracing, uh, you know, species and the way species have evolved and so on, uh, is with, for instance, um, you know, paleontology, and there are there are various fossils and you know remains that remain, um, and there is a very specific way in which we have been trying to track uh, the universe's evolution as well. Uh, for instance, we try to see how distant stars are moving with respect to us and with respect to each other, um, and how they have been moving over time, essentially. Um, so, in that respect, uh, the whole idea, and I get what you're uh, trying to uh, you know bring across, uh, which is that the latent potentiality of something to become something else, uh, and the causative manner in which it happens, the cause effect kind of that you know brings about that particular thing. Um, but isn't, for instance, natural selection is something that Darwin had given us. And there is a certain way in which, even though there isn't a functionality of a certain organism, let's say in the beginning, uh, they, it kind of evolves and adapts to uh, a, a greater kind of functionality of sorts, right? So in this, uh, with this empirical understanding as it stands today, uh, how do we reconcile the Jain thought uh, or the Jain formalism uh, with, with, with this idea, with these ideas as such? Uh, yes, I uh, agree to this uh, point of uh, natural selection. So science mostly talks about some natural laws or natural selection. But uh, uh, yeah, it is very difficult to know that what kind of natural selection and why this natural selection is. Right. Jainism is answering to this question, why some uh, living beings are evolving and some are not. Right. With, so with, what is that natural selection? What is the cause of natural selection? So according to Jainism, it is because of the karmic fruition, karmic uh, result that some uh, species are making some um, effort to evolve in the higher state. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are selected by nature to come up in the higher state. So that can be a, a reconciling point mm -hmm. between Darwin and Jainism. Right. So Jainism is answering to the uh, the question of uh, natural selection. Why nature is selecting only few and not all? Right. Right. So it is because of their karmic uh, principle or karmic uh, law. They are coming uh, out of uh, uh, some lower state to higher state. Right. And I, I, I will follow up with the uh, question on uh, karma as well, because uh, the way in which karma is looked at in the Hindu fold, uh, the Hindu formalisms and the Jain formalism, there are some, uh, you know, differences. Um, and I guess uh, the people the, in the scientific domain, I mean, the, the scientists as, as we stand here, uh, are will call this speculative purely because probably uh, the empirical backing or the mooring for such a, you know, argument uh, is still kind of elusive in a certain way, and understandably so, because uh, you may mentioned in the past that, um, you know, these are not things that can be experimentally found. And that is the, that has always been the underlying kind of um, uh, understanding of what the soul is, what, you know, kar karmic, uh, the karmic level of existence is. Uh, and so there, there is a fundamental difference and dichotomy of sorts. And uh, one, I will engage with that uh, in a bit. Um, I would like to kind of draw your attention to a slightly different area here, which is to do with the idea that conventional wisdom uh, would say that Jainism differs from both Hinduism and Buddhism. 
and all three believe that there is uh, well nothing permanent in the world we see around us uh, but while buddhism says that there is no eternal self or soul i mean uh, the whole idea of anatta um, hinduism speaks of an eternal unchanging self and soul um, you know in uh, either be it in the brahman kind of um, uh, of of the vedantin traditions uh, or even in the sankhyan kind of you know duality of purusha prakriti uh, and so on uh, while jainism incorporates an eternal but changing self and soul so what are your thoughts on these ontological and philosophical similarities and differences of jainism hinduism and buddhism and how do you argue for uh, the transience of the self itself as mentioned in the jain traditions good see uh, jainism buddhism and hinduism have some uh, philosophical uh, debates on some particular uh, metaphysical uh, issues or uh, realities Right. so among them one is that what is reality actually okay. what is the criteria of reality mm -hmm. so buddhism believes that every reality is transitory uh, it is just for one moment it is in flux so this is the criteria of um, being a real according to hinduism real is what is unchangeable in all the three times right. so that is real Jainism stands uh, or takes a different position. According to it, if we want to understand any reality, we have to accept this uh, golden principle that every reality is dual in nature. Right. Mm -hmm. Every reality is dual in nature, and every reality stands in uh, what we say in binary position. It means it has also some counterpart outside. so until and unless you take both the aspects together you cannot fix what is real so according to jainism every reality is transitory as well as permanent and uh, if uh, we want to understand it uh, in a, some in some detail then we have to understand that if things are changing so this change can be explained only when you are accepting something is abiding or permanent otherwise you cannot say it is changed it is new production then right okay so change cannot be explained and without change no uh, the rebirth is not possible without change the karma theory is not possible so all these doctrines are accepted in hinduism and buddhism as well the rebirth is accepted in buddhism the karma theory is accepted in buddhism Right. if something is not permanent then who is carrying on this uh, karmic um, uh, baggage is or residue so that is a big question before uh, buddhism from jainism side so jainism believes that everything is having dual nature pure permanent pure uh, transitory does not exist everything which is existing must have both the qualities permanence as well as impermanence and that's why it is accepting that soul is also transitory as well as permanent soul as substantive reality is always there but the particular mode of uh, life is um, not uh, permanent it is transitory and that's why death is accepted that yes i am coming in the in this particular form of human life but it will not be always it will it cannot be permanent it is or for the time being so this mode can be changed so modes are changing they are they are coming in succession they are not permanent 
but the substance is always always permanent soul will always be soul and it will always be there even after death so substantive reality exists permanently but its mode always change changes so in at the level of mode you can accept the date you can accept the transitoriness of soul also but uh, not at the level of substance so that is the view of genesis of, of, about self Right, and I think uh, you brought forth this paradoxical nature, which you kind of highlighted right now, uh, which is that there is transience and there is permanence. Um, I mean, in various traditions within Hinduism as well, and I think certain other, um, you know, world religions, there has been an initial discussion. In fact, in the very early days, um, in the Rig Veda, for instance, um, there are some aspects, for instance, in the Nasadya Sutta, uh, which talks about that which is beyond the binary. I mean, so if there is a binary, it is beyond that as well. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it has. kind of you know move towards a place where uh, that you know understanding kind of um, either got obfuscated or um, was looked over at at various points in time so i think jainism does bring forth that very important aspect which is that universe itself is paradoxical uh, and the transience and immanence are part of the same reality um, yeah so um, so sorry one thing more i want to say that in hinduism and buddhism uh, to uh, somewhere they accept this kind of a binary um, binary nature of reality or dual aspect of reality but it is just in particular some reference according to jainism everything mm-hmm. everything is having dual nature and everything is in binary everything has its own opposite mm-hmm. and that applies to all from atom to space No, I mean, nothing is an exception of this particular golden principle. So it is not that the sky is eternal or unchanging, or soul is eternal and unchanging. That is not the principle of Jainism. It uh, this principle of permanence and impermanence, or you can say dual nature, applies to all realities, all realities. Uh, well within within the vedic and vedantic thought as well actually i was i want i, I should have clarified uh, it was it is yes. not subjective kind of uh, you know permanence and transience actually as just as you said in jainism as well um it is that everything is infused with this paradoxical nature i should i should highlight that i'm not i have not you know uh, studied all that much about buddhist eschatology uh, beyond a point and philosophy uh, but within hinduism at least uh, to my you know limited knowledge um we have various strands within the you know uh, hindu fold for instance even in ramakrishna's vigyana vedanta which came up in the 19th century uh, he talks about the paradoxical kind of duality which is inherent in everything that we have around us uh, with a very famous kind of example of a staircase which takes you to the roof uh, and the staircase itself and the firmament uh, being made of the same material and yet not uh, as that of the roof and beyond essentially so uh, there is this discussion of the binaries the dualities and the paradoxical nature um, but what is more interesting in the jain premise is that the idea the preeminence of anekantavad uh, which brings me to the next question Uh, anekantavad is arguably the fun- one of the fundamental jain premises of reality and relativity and uh, simply put it says that uh, the ultimate truth and reality uh, is complex and has multiple aspects um, and according to jainism no single specific statement uh, model framework can describe the nature of existence and the absolute truth um and this is very close to me and you know uh, my way of thinking and writing as well recently uh, we will be having a video soon on one of the uh, essays that i wrote on turiyavad which looks at this aspect um and uh, so does this mean that every point of view is true and how does one bring together views that may fundamentally contradict each other as per jain thinking 
very critical question so yes uh, according to uh, the principle or uh, doctrine of anekant or you can say multiplicity of truth yeah every truth is having infinite uh, uh, aspects or dimensions and everybody cannot see all the dimensions together yeah they can see one or two or some and not right. all and that's why there is always a scope to explore something new some new dimension of reality and uh, this is the reason that some religions some philosophical traditions they have seen some other aspects and not uh, uh, what is said or what is discussed in jain tradition so that's why we uh, say that okay these are also true things and we have to accept it and that's why jain as uh, Uh, philosophers and uh, what we say thinkers have tried their best to reconcile the hindu views the buddhist views even the views of science today we are reconciling with jain uh, concepts because uh, everything is not explored in one and the same tradition so other traditions are also trying to explore explore the truth and they are also talking about some aspects of realities and that in that uh, that is also very good and we have to accept so this is one thing the second question which you have raised is that how we can uh, reconcile all the uh, contradictory views jainism has talked about the principle of shadavada the doctrine of shadavada shadavan means uh, conditional dialects whenever you have to talk uh, some contradictory aspects of reality you have to talk always in a relative sense or in some conditional way that from this point of view i am talking that the soul is eternal and from that point of view i am talking that the soul is non eternal or transitory so if you are taking two different standpoints and talk, saying uh, something contradictory or controversial that can also be accepted or reconciled in a right way so, but most of the people or most of the philosophical systems or even the um, branches of science they talk uh about the things and they say that oh it is that it is this but they don't refer to the particular context in which context they are talking like this okay from which angle they are talking this thing or from which perspective they are talking this thing and that's why this uh, missing of particular context or reference is creating cultural conflicts or you can say uh, cultural uh, disputes or uh, debates <laughs> and uh, one is accepting and other is uh, rejecting like that kind of things are going on from the time from very long time so since we uh, we have to make clear that from which angle i am talking this thing and then it, it is e- easily accepted yes that is true if hinduism is says that the truth is unchangeable then they are talking from substantive point of view and right. that is acceptable in jainism that substance is always eternal it is unchangeable it remains always as it is and uh, from modern point of view if buddhism talks about the reality that it is transitory then it is also accepted in jainism that yes since the reality is changing at every moment and that's why it is not same in the second moment so you can talk of that kind of reality also but that is also relative truth and not absolute or complete truth absolute does, uh, means complete truth so jainism is in favor of complete or perfect truth 
and which must be inclusive rather than exclusive in its approach. So that is the approach of Anika. Right, and um, that's a very important point. Uh, uh, however, I was very, very interested in knowing how, uh, practically speaking, for instance, you mentioned about a very important point here, uh, which is the contextualization is important, the context in which something is presented, and that inherently can give the resolution of a certain conflict or a binary uh, or a point of difference. Uh, but many a times in various exclusivist or dogmatic frameworks, uh, as it stands, uh, be it in uh, you know uh, theology, philosophy, uh, so social kind of constructs, or even in political kind of theories, uh, there is a contextualized kind of binary which is presented. Um, there is a certain polarization or exclusivism that is brought forth. Um, and in that respect, it is not that, uh, you know, people don't recognize it, but there is a natural alignment with the binary, one of the other of the binary. So uh, from the Jain's standpoint, I think this is a very important message, but I would like to know from you in a practical sense in today's world, how can we implement this better so that this kind of polarization and dogmatic kind of thinking is not prioritized? <clears throat> yes, so we should develop mutual understanding. We should have open-mindedness and uh, try to see that why, uh, why others are speaking in, uh, like this. Right. So try to understand their angles, their perspectives, their methods even. To, uh, for exploring the truth or their purpose. Sometimes the purpose also uh, makes a difference in our opinions. If I'm looking for some spiritual enlightenment and uh, my perception it would be different in that context. And you are looking for uh, some material uh, gains or material uh, goals, then your perspective would be very different. Okay, so goals uh, sometimes also um, makes uh, differences our, in our perception to look at the reality. So we have to see that what kind of goal is there, what kind of method is there, what kind of perspective is there, what in which reference he's talking. So we must have open-mindedness. Try to understand others, develop some mutual understanding, and then you will see that uh, there is no such kind of disputes there. And this is the what Jainism has presented. Jain scholars uh, and philosophers have tried their best and they have, they could see the reality in other traditions and could live with them without right. any disputes, without any dialogues with them or any kind of uh, cultural conflicts with them. They are working. So it is because of the open-mindedness. Very well put. Uh, and I think that's a very important point. And I hope that this uh, interaction and uh, the various works that Jain scholars have done and other luminaries in various traditions have done uh, can bring that forth in practicality in our day-to-day -day life as well. Um, recently, a newspaper article headline read, the Times Group Chairman Indu Jain attains Nirvan. Right? Terms such as Nirvan and Moksha are being rather frivolously used these days, right? Because, uh, you know, there is a certain way in which it was conceptualized and has been kind of used uh, within various frameworks, uh, not kind of discounting on the attainments and the achievements of, um, you know, uh, Miss Indu Jain. Uh, but could you tell us a little about the Jain concept of Nirvan and how the emancipation, the spiritual emancipation of the individual uh, is attained and the nuances of that, essentially? <clears throat> okay. So, see, uh, Nirvan is a very uh, pious word. Yes. and uh, ultimate goal of human life according to jainism each human being should uh, make effort to achieve, to achieve this goal of uh, life so uh, whenever somebody dies 
we would like to say that he ha has attended a moksha or he should or she should uh, achieve moksha as soon as possible so that is our just a good wishes to uh, the uh, past soul yes. but it doesn't mean that she has reached uh, moksha or liberation okay so the, this is the way of uh, speaking in a practical life okay. that we always uh, think something higher for the past souls so far as the concept of liberation is concerned according to jainism one can liberate when one becomes free from all karmic bondages so according to jainism there are karmic material or karmic uh, what we say particles which are keeping our soul intact into worldly state so until and unless we break the well karmic well and uh, take our soul out of it we cannot liberate so we have to make effort to put the karmic baggages or residue to an end and make our soul free from it so karmic uh, freedom or salvation from karmic bondage is the liberation according to jainism and when you put the karmic baggages to an end it means you are also putting uh, the cycle of birth and death to an end so you become always immortal you you will never return to take new birth and there will not be even death when there is no birth no death so you become uh, um, uh, what we say immortal and also you remain always in a very peaceful blissful eternal knowledge in the liberated state and never comes back to this mundane world um and i think that is <clears throat> that has been the preeminent kind of um theme of the various dharmic traditions the emancipation of um, the individual and the the journey that we take thereof um and uh, even in jainism i mean um well with my uh, mother's association as as i had mentioned to you previously i think i have had a personal kind of uh, connect of sorts uh, with jainism and it has always fascinated me because i've seen at very close quarters some of the uh, jain sadhus and sadhvis who have um, you know worked along the way in their journey towards um, you know spiritual spiritual emancipation and and, and the journey thereof um within jainism what has always fascinated me another aspect of it is the uh, the, the very sects of jainism so you have the shwetambar the digambar uh, you have multi pujas and sthanakvasis um so i would like to know from you um, why did these divisions come to be in the first place uh, within the larger jain family <clears throat> yes see uh, we humans are always having some uh, thinking ability no right and we always think and interpret things according to our own way we try to our uh, try our best to understand uh, whatever is whatever is written by the omniscient by the religious authorities and since at present there is no omniscient like lord mahavir or other tirthankars so when the tirthankars were present in on the earth there there was no division he was uh, the tirthankars used to um, keep all types of uh, different practices uh, uh, at one in one order or in one system but uh, after that what happens some uh, some of the people who uh, or ascetic uh, groups they say that you no know, this kind of practice we have to continue or other 
things uh, that uh, this kind of uh, practice we have to continue. So in because of this uh, different practices, interest of dif into different practices, there are cer certain divisions. But so far as the philosophical thinking uh, is concerned, they all are unanimous. They believe in the same kind of principles and uh, practices, but just uh, they, uh, their emphasis on some particular uh, thing uh, practically in practical uh, life. And that's why they are differing in that way. So it is not nothing. Uh, see, difference is also a kind of richness. Right. Shows that richness of thinking that you have such people who could think uh, in different way. Yes. And if that way is uh, right, uh, so why um, there is uh, some uh, question uh, about the division. So division is good. If they have no disputes, no uh, enmities uh, against to each other, then it's okay. We have to welcome because uh, everybody can think in different way and can follow religion in a different um, way. So all people cannot follow everything or anything in a one way. They have also their own interest. So because of that, we find such divisions. I think the doctrinal, uh, you know, differences in perception, actually, I mean, that has been the theme in various, I mean, religions for that matter, even in Buddhism, the Sarvastavadins and the Shunyata, you know, yes. and in Hinduism and Christianity for that matter. Uh, so it is the lack of uh, the omniscience, as you, as you rightly put, um, and, and the understanding of the import and essence of what was said. I think that creates the divisions. Um, you have written in the past on Bhagavan Mahavir's scientific vision. And uh, more contemporaneously, you have written about Acharya uh, Mahaprabhyaji's uh, theory of creation, which is Srishtivat, uh, in Jain canonical yes. literature. Uh, so could you tell yes. us a little about this? <clears throat> okay. So uh, theory of creation is actually given by the theological traditions who believe that God is creator of the universe. In that sense, Jainism doesn't believe that... Uh, God or any other uh, supreme being has created this universe. According to Jainism, universe is eternal. And it is. it has no beginning and no end. So there is no question of creation and there is no question of creator. And I was reading the uh, book, uh, Theory of Everything, which is written by Stephen Hawking. And in the aid of um, that book, almost, I found that he is also talking that there are certain uh, theories which uh, have been developed in the field of science to explain the beginning of the universe still. And they couldn't get uh, on all answers. And uh, looking at the uh, difficulties uh, in spite of developing all those uh, theories, the uh, science, the scientist uh, Stephen Hawking is, was thinking that it may be that the universe is eternal and that for, that's why there is no need of thinking of any creator God then. Mm -hmm. So he was also thinking in that light. Okay? So Jainism has said that the universe is eternal. It is, it is not created. So there is no question of creation. There is no question of creator. But yes, how the universe is, um, uh, what we say, constituted, or how it is, uh, there is diversity of living beings. There is there is so much differences in the universe. So we have to explain those diversities, the cause of diversities or differences or multiplicity of the uh, elements of the universe. So Jainism has talked about uh, the rules, the natural laws which are governing. Uh, these are uh, all differences 
And in that sense, I have talked about the creation, which is especially uh, developed by Acharya Mahapragya. That uh, yes, Jainism also believes in creation, creationism, but in a very different manner. Right. It accepts that the fundamental realities are six and they are eternal, beginningless, non-created. But yes, out of their combination, we are getting these multifarious uh, universe. Right. So how they are combining together and giving rise to different objects in the universe, how uh, the uh, diversities of living beings is being seen by us. So what is the karma principle, how it is playing role to, uh, to develop or to come uh, all different species into being and how the different elements of the universe are coming into existence, how they are being created and what are the uh, principles which are working or natural laws which are working behind all these multifarious work. So that I have discussed in my particular article. That is really the translation of uh, the article written by Acharya Mahaprabhu. Right. So and it is a very, um, I can say that this creationism is a kind of a scientific explanation about the universe. But, but when it comes to, again, uh, going back to the idea that we were trying to explore in the, uh, the biological and the origin of life question, um, and, and it's very interesting, uh, just, just a side note here, uh, that even in the Hindu traditions, there is the whole idea of permutations and combinations of the gunas, the qualities, uh, and, you know, the sattva, rajas, and tamas, and the way in which that brings about the various, you know, diversity and multiplicity we see around us. Um, so, uh, you know, it is, it is not quite the same thing, but there is this whole idea of the permutations and a natural uh, way in which those happen, and, well, we see whatever we see around us. Um, but my question is more to do with the empirical findings. So, um, for instance, Stephen Hawking, if I'm uh, not mistaken, he mentioned that there isn't probably a theory of everything. There is, uh, you know, something which is, uh, there could be various theories uh, and models uh, which work well together in certain regimes and conditions um, and not so in a unified manner as we want to kind of, you know, the holy grail of physics as such. Um, and... Um, Various other people have spoken about it. There are other scientists like Roger Penrose, who has mentioned about the cyclic cosmology model, uh, which is to do with the whole idea that there's a big bang and the big crunch, big bang and big crunch and so on. So now the question is that when we talk about this, uh, the, the, the principles of the six, um, you know, uh, dravya, the substances, uh, the end realities rather, uh, permuting and coming together, uh, again, how do we reconcile that with what we see around us? particularly to do with the idea that astronomically and cosmologically, uh, we see a few things using, you know, whatever technologies we have been able to develop. And uh, how do we reconcile that with, uh, you know, what we see uh, in those readings? Okay. Uh, see, uh, whatever science is uh, thinking about uh, this Big Bang and Big Crunch, so we can, uh, I can say that uh, according to Jainism, uh, the whole time cycle is divided into two. Right. Mm -hmm. Ascending epoch and the other one is called descending epoch. Right now we are uh, running in a descending epoch. So in, uh, it is starts from uh, the very developed state to uh, a declined state. So in, I can say that the decline state can be considered as a Big Bang when new civilization starts. That is also the time which is very hot. And uh, it, uh, the, according to some natural uh, uh, laws, the 
universe starts again from that uh, hot state uh, to the developed state. So that kind of, uh, I can see that in the end of this uh, particular ascending era, we got that everything is um, being declined naturally in its natural qualities, the human beings and other natural resources, they are also declining in their qualities. And there will be one point when everything will be collapsed, collapsed. the present civilization will collapse, um, will collapse and the new civilization will start again. So that state will be quite hopeful, uh, hot situation in that uh, uh, moment, especially. So uh, the civilization starts with the hot uh, situation when the earth is completely hot and very ruined state. And from that, the civilization again starts uh, in a new way. So in, it's, it, it uh, shows that, uh, yes, uh, such kind of big bang and big crunch comes periodically after a certain period and uh, new civilization starts after that. Um, and you mentioned about the six uh, fundamental realities and uh, you also yes. mentioned about karma in the past. So karma has been a preeminent idea and concept in you know, Hindu traditions and in Jainism for that matter. Uh, in Hindu traditions, it has been mentioned in various texts from right from uh, the Rig Veda and Brihadaranya Upanishad uh, to the Srimad Bhagavad Gita and the Purans. Uh, Jains believe that karma is a physical substance or reality, if not a substance per se, uh, that is everywhere in the universe. And uh, there is also this idea that karma particles or there are certain kind of uh, particulate kind of uh, formalism uh, where there are particles associated with karma that are attracted to the soul by actions of that soul. Um, so as per Richard Francis Gombrich, for instance, karma is thought to be manifest as very subtle and sensually imperceptible particles pervading the entire universe. Uh, so what is the origin and rationale of this idea, if I may ask? <clears throat> so it is good. Uh, the uh, Richard, you have mentioned my it yeah. is the name. Yeah. So he's uh, completely talking in the sense of Jainism or Jain view about karma principle. Yes, Jainism says that uh, since uh, the soul is eternal and uh, it is in uh, contact or association with the karmic particles from the time immemorial uh, because of its uh, actions, because it is always active and uh, engaged in some activities whether mental, physical, or verbal. And because of that, it is continuously getting karmic particles or material from the environment, which is uh, spread throughout this cosmic space. And uh, this, material, this material is very fine, very fine. You cannot see it uh, with naked eyes or is the sophisticated yantras of today also cannot detect them. Uh, but this fine matter is always with soul and it is governing its destiny in particular form of life. Right. So the, this is invisible and uh, yes, it is always with the soul. And uh, some people ask that when this matter uh, has started coming in the context of soul. So Jainism says that it is beginningless. There is no beginning. For example, you find gold in the mine gold in the mine yeah. and when you find the gold uh, you take out the gold from the mine you find that it is not in pure state is it it is always in impure state it is always associated uh, with some soil or you can say some mitti in yes. hindi uh, language okay 
So if you want to trace out the beginning point when the soil came in the contact of the gold, you cannot trace out, is it? Yeah. Similarly, in these elements, soul and uh, karma principle have association with each other uh, from the time immemorial. And I say that practically, if you want to be convinced um, by this logic, uh, uh, see, uh, convinced about this logic, then you have to see that in this nature, there is nothing in pure state. Everything is mixed with some other elements. So the soul is mixed with karmic matter and all other elements which you find in the uh, soil or in the mines, they are also mixed with some other elements. So that this is the, uh, uh, what we say, uh, universal principle, uh, which applies to all realities, which are natural and in nature, they are always mixed with some other elements. And you have to take some refinery process to make them pure. So similarly, religion is a kind of refinery process which uh, helps to pure the inner self and separates from the karmic material and make it free and uh, uh, help to realize its own divine potentials. Right. And I think it's very interesting because uh, even within Vedantin and various other, even Gnosticism, which is a very uh, early form of in the Judaistic tradition and so on, there is a whole duality and the whole idea of veil of ignorance, essentially. Uh, they took it, take it in a slightly different way. I mean, uh, how the uh, the causative actions happen, the karmic actions happen, and what makes the, uh, the original essence of a man or a person kind of clouded, as you say. Um, and this is a very interesting, different and distinct formalism as such. Um, I had a query regarding the the substance and the way in which we perceive the soul. So you mentioned that uh, these particles or particulate, uh, you know, uh, entities kind of attached to the soul. Uh, but in the very beginning, the way we perceive of the soul in these traditions, we look at it um, is kind of not empirical. It does not have an expansion. It does not have any uh, matter-related aspect whatsoever. Uh, so the idea that this particulate nature of it, even though it may be, um, you know, very, very small to see or imperceptible, as, as uh, Ramage says, um, but it still has a finite expansion. Uh, it still is, in a certain way, empirical, uh, so to say, or at least has the possibility of being empirical. Um, so how do we reconcile these two things? Because in, in Vedanta, for instance, they mentioned that Maya, uh, you know, the Brahman and Maya duality, uh, there, there is no play in the, uh, in, in, the, in the world that we see around us. I mean, we see the products of that interplay of sorts, uh, but the level is much more fundamental in a certain way. Uh, so why did we go with the particulate idea essentially in the first place? And how do we reconcile these, uh, you know, thought processes? Okay. Uh, might be I'm getting your point or <laughs> so just uh, I want to say that uh, soul uh, generally vedanta says that there is no expansion in soul no right, yes there is no expansion in the soul okay. but according to jainism the soul can spread throughout the universe this much expansion the soul has by expansion do you mean that there is a finite expansion or just the all permeating kind of you know uh, reality, which which even Vedanta kind of mentions about in other Hindu traditions as well, uh, because okay. uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. So yeah. according to Jainism, the soul is uh, of cosmic space size. Okay. Okay. Right. And that's why in certain condition it can spread throughout the space, cosmic space, not uh, out of cosmic right. space. Okay. 
So it has a expansion uh, of the size of cosmic space. Entire universe, it can spread throughout the space, uh, cosmic space or entire universe. So that, that kind of expansion it has already. Uh, it is consisting of innumerable uh, soul points or consciousness points, okay? So it has such kind of expansion and that's why the karmic material can uh, be attached to it and it can be affected by those particles. Right, right, right. Very interesting. Okay. Very interesting. So that expansion is not a material, uh, the expansion of uh, like material object, yeah. but it is a kind of spiritual or non-material entity. But it has also expansion and that's why in Jain philosophy, the particular word is used for soul that is jivastikaya. So right. jivastikaya means that the soul has expansion and it can expand throughout the universe, right. but not all the times. In particular time, uh, it can expand. Right. Otherwise, it is always limited to the body size. Whatever body uh, it has, it is confined to that size only. So, I mean, uh, you, you mentioned about uh, Jivastikaya, and so there's another aspect, which is uh, Pudgalastikaya, which is uh, in Jain philosophy, Pudgala or Pudgalastikaya is one of the fundamental aspects of reality. And uh, yes. that's defined as all things that are continuously changing by the process of um, supplementation or disintegration, um, namely matter, essentially, matter more or less. And you've explored this aspect of reality extensively in the past, and I have I've I had the uh, privilege of reading a few of those uh, works, uh, and specifically writing for <laughs> modification laws, expanse, mutation, uh, motion of the Pudgal as well. Uh, so could you tell us a little about that? <clears throat> okay. So the Jivastika stands for the living entities. All types of living entities come under the Jivastika. Similarly, all kind of, all kind of material uh, elements or energies, they come under one term that is Pudgalastika. Yes. So yes, uh, Pudgala, Pudgala means matter or material energy, and it has expansion that is quite clear uh, to the people of uh, science also. So far as the uh, uh, matter is concerned, it has two forms. One is atom, which is indivisible uh, unit of any material entity. So that is the last finest uh, part of a material entity. Uh, and the other is more aggregates, you can say, or compounds or compositions, you can say. Okay. Right. So matter exists always in these two forms. Right. Uh, and there are certain rules uh, for making a composition or compounds or aggregates. Yeah. How the um, atoms, which are free and separate or indivisible, how they come in the contact of other uh, atoms and make uh, molecules and the small molecules make uh, make bigger molecules and by adding other molecules they give rise to the bigger uh, entities or bigger elements so there are certain rules behind it uh, we can explain uh, i can explain those rules but right now we have no sufficient time to explain uh, or to go into all details so far as the speed, luminous speed is uh, the fastest speed of atom is concerned. According to Jainism, atom has the fastest speed. Okay. And also the soul has the fastest the fastest speed, which is uh, quite unimaginable today. Because uh, we are thinking that the electricity has the fastest speed. Mm -hmm. Right now, at present, whatever uh, speed is uh, 
known or speed measurements are used so in that those measurements light is uh, accepted as the fastest uh, element okay but according to genism in one moment only not only one second or one nanosecond in one moment only the atom can go from one corner to opposite another corner Similarly, the soul can go from one corner to opposite uh, another corner in just uh, in one moment. Right. And what is one moment according to Jainism? It is the last indivisible unit of time. Right. That is one fraction, one fraction, okay, of time. So very smallest time, very uh, un uh, last unit of time in which the soul can travel from one corner to another, the atom can travel from one corner to another. And th this fastest speed takes place when the soul or uh, atom do not touch the space. If right. it touches space, uh, space, then it may take more time yes. to reach from one corner to another. So this fastest speed is possible only when they do not touch the space. Okay, so that is called Afusman Gati. That is called Afusman Gati. Without touching the space, this speed is going on. Right. Or this is the fastest speed which is accepted in Jainism. Right. So in, in, you mentioned about the theory of atomism and Afusam Gati. Uh, and also you mentioned about various other aspects. For instance, you speak about the four types of atoms. Uh, you speak about the principle of uncertainty, uh, the dual nature of atom as well. Um, and it's interesting because, um, well, when the Jain traditions were, you know, um, uh, initially kind of at least uh, Bhagavan Mahavir and, and thereafter, uh, there was also the, uh, the Vaisheshikas, for instance, Kannan, the, the very eminent seer, essentially, who gave us the atomic theory as well. Um, now, the question is that science, modern science as we know it, uh, there are two different strands which I would like to kind of explore with you here, uh, which is that you mentioned about jumping through space without uh, jumping through um, uh, to different you know, points without going through space. Uh, now, this is something which uh, in the quantum domain, right, in the quantum uh, physical domain, for instance, uh, we see that information, not quite you know, practical physical matter, uh, can pass at superluminal or at least you know, instantaneous kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, situation. So it, it is possible that, you know, information can go through, uh, but nothing physical can kind of uh, cross the speed of light. So uh, a possible kind of conjecture which people have had is that whether the soul is actually an information dynamics or the meta dynamics of sorts of entities, and therefore we can kind of, you know, reconcile all that we know in science with uh, the idea of the soul. And the second question is that modern science has moved away from uh, or other point, uh, is that modern science has moved away from the atomistic view. Now we talk about the quantum fields, we talk about, um, you know, strings in string theory and so on. Um, so again, how do we kind of, um, you know, approach um, uh, this, this reconciliation that needs to be done between what modern science says and what we have from Jainism, for instance? So, so far as the first question is concerned, the soul is completely, uh, what we say, conscious element, okay? It's every iota is full of infinite consciousness. And it doesn't need any physical support to communicate with anybody, okay? So, it has, uh, when it is said in Jainism that uh, whatever knowledge emerges in one iota of, you, uh, of the soul, the same knowledge you will find in other iotas of the same soul, okay? So it means that all information is spread throughout the whole, uh, whole the soul and not in particular part. So you can find the same information in other iotas of the soul uh, 
what you are looking into one. So this is one answer. Second is that, uh, yes, um, according to Jainism, uh, there is one scripture which is known as Anu Yogudwar in Jain tradition. Uh, and in this particular text, uh, uh, the thinkers, the author has discussed about the method of reading the Jain scriptures, how you should read and understand or interpret uh, each word or each sentence of the Jain scriptures. So that method has been discussed in particular um, scripture, and which is known as uh, Anuyogadvara. In that particular text, the author is talking about two types of atoms. Okay. One is called a real atom and other one is called a practical atom. Right. So what we are uh, perceiving uh, when we listen to these theories of science, uh, we are finding that they are talking about the, re, uh, the practical uh, atom, mm -hmm. which can be split into further uh, smaller parts. Yeah. Because it is not really atom. It is also a molecule, but it looks like atom. Right. So you can split into uh, not only in 200 subparticles, but you can divide it into infinite number of particles even, according to Jainism. Right. Okay. So these uh, these practical atoms, they look like um, atom or indivisible or very smallest part of phys uh, physical or material entity, but they are also a kind of molecules which are um, so small like the last unit of the atom, which is real atom. Right. And the real atom is indivisible. It cannot be further divided or splitted into any subparticles. So what we are perceiving that science is still talking about the practical atom and that can be splitted. And that's why they are thinking that atomism theory doesn't work today. What, uh, what is discussed in, uh, in philosophical systems or uh, philosophical domain. But according to Jainism, they are still uh, talking about the atom or uh, practical atom or practical particle which can be further divided very interesting right so yes. i mean but the real one the, but the real one cannot be splitted right. it is the last minutest unit, uh, unit of material entity which yes. has no scope for further division very, very interesting. And so um, going beyond that, I mean, when you talk about consciousness and soul, for instance, you've written about that in your works and you have mentioned about, um, you know, you have had deliberations on um, what you call functional consciousness. Uh, you've spoken about vitalities and biopotentials as well. Now, the thing is for a scientist today, um, you know, many of these uh, concepts can be speculative, outlandish, uh, if not, some of them can be very skeptical and cynical and, you know, regarded as blasphemous as well. So could you tell us a little about how you bring together the Jain school of consciousness and vitalism um, with the, again, the knowledge we have in terms of uh, the idea that this whole idea of vitalism in energy um, is not something that we have at least formulated or seen essentially in empirical findings. Uh, and it is something which is still beyond the reach of, um, you know, our current experimentation and, and frameworks as such. Um, so the whole idea of vitalism, which is very important uh, and consciousness with what we know as it stands, um, how do you kind of uh, reconcile and bring them together? <clears throat> very good question. See, according to Jainism, uh, each mundane soul yeah. is always associated with two subtle bodies. Okay. One is a Tejas body, which is, you can say, luminous body or bioelectric body, which is always associated with mundane soul. And there is karmic body, which is the causal body. Okay. So these two bodies are always connected with mundane soul. 
So whenever soul takes birth, new birth, it is having the bioelectricity with it. And that bioelectricity um, works through physical body and uh, makes it functional in all states. So if suppose you are perceiving uh, with eyes, yes. but eyes are blinking, closing, okay, or perceiving. So all these functions uh, which are taking place at physical level, they are being um, what we say supported or empowered by this bioelectric energy, which is flowing in the body. And that body is always associated with the soul. And soul has consciousness. So uh, when we have to see something, when we want to close our eyes and want to take rest, so all decisions are being taken by consciousness. But whenever it takes a decision that I have to see this thing or I have to speak some words or I have to give interview, so this kind of decisions are made by his consciousness, but those these functions are taking place with the support of bioelectric energies, which is flowing inside the physical body. And that's why our um, mouth is um, functioning and I'm uttering some words. So all these uh, uh, things are taking place uh, with the support of some energy, which is flowing inside. That is called the vitalities. And there are some biopotentials. So biopotentials, according to Jainism, Whenever somebody takes new birth, it needs some physical powers to work or to interact with the external world or to fulfill its basic necessities of, uh, in that particular life. So he, it, uh, I can say that uh, you, we need some physical systems in our body so that we can eat, we can breathe, so respiratory system, uh, digestive system, blood circulation system, or excretory system. So all these systems are essential for all living beings from very um, first moment of birth. And these are called uh, biopotentials in Jainism. So today the science talks in the sense of physical systems and it accepts 10 types of systems. And Jainism talks about six types of systems which are essential for living being to survive in particular form of life. And uh, yes. so from vitalism to intentionality, which is, uh, you know, something you've looked at as well. And there was this one uh, uh, write, writing and uh, piece, essentially, where you uh, drew a rather fascinating parallel between uh, Jainism and Jean-Paul Sartre, um, I mean, who happens to be uh, a very uh, famous or infamous in terms of declining the uh, Nobel Prize, as I was reading a few days back in 1964, uh, because he didn't want to be institutionalized. Uh, so you draw this parallel between Jainism and Jean-Paul Sartre in the light of, uh, you know, the similarities and differences regarding uh, intentionality, right? So could you tell us a little about that? <clears throat> okay, so uh, right now uh, I had uh, uh, what uh, what is written, I couldn't see actually. <laughs> so I'm not just remembering the exact point, um, sure. but uh, according to Jainism, yes, intentionality is uh, there, but uh, somehow it is a um, it is a kind of decision which is taken by the our own e inner consciousness, right. and uh, sometimes it is also affected by some uh, external environment or situations. Um, but right now I'm uh, unable to answer actually to your question, so you, it will be better to drop this question. Okay, right now. Thank you. I will see it uh, another time and discuss. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so. Yes. Uh, a couple of questions, uh, uh, you know, the, the last few questions are very important, actually. One of them being that on, uh, you know, being lacto-vegetarian is a part of 
practicing nonviolence in the daily life of Jains. And, um, you know, strict Jains exclude, for instance, various vegetables, potatoes, and other root vegetables from their diet. Uh, quite a few Jains restrict their window of eating and drinking to uh, daylight only so that, you know, there's no accidental ingestion of um, life forms, essentially, that were snuck into the food. Uh, so how do you see these practices feeding into a practical, modern, uh, and transnational movement towards vegetarianism, uh, if not lacto-vegetarianism as such? <clears throat> Okay, so uh, see, Jainism is talking uh, from the point of view of non-violence and spirituality. Okay, right. but the modern uh, or transnationalism, uh, transnational uh, vegetarianism is not uh, thinking uh, from that point of view, okay. and that's why they are not going to that extent to which right. the Jains are practicing. Okay, so they are just uh, trying to take a vegetarian diet uh, to avoid such kind of viruses which are coming through a non-veg diet yeah. or from a health purpose. Mm -hmm. So their uh, goal is uh, physical health, physical fitness, or you can say to, free, to be free from the effect of such kind of viruses. Mm -hmm. But uh, they are not thinking from a spiritual or non-violence point of view. And that's why they are not practicing uh, or avoiding these root vegetables in their diet. Uh, so that is uh, also a kind of a uh, thing which, which they are accepting or they are coming to a vegetarian diet that is enough, I think. Mm -hmm. And slowly and gradually they will understand uh, their uh, main concept of non-violence and also spirituality um, behind all these Jain practices and might be they will also think of it. So we are just positive that at least they are avoiding non-veg. That is also a very good thing and coming to vegetarianism, but slowly and gradually they have to understand uh, why Jains are practicing this vegetarianism from centuries because of non-violence and spirituality. And, and that is the important thing, the, the space from which one does a certain thing, essentially, um, you know, the result or the, the policy can be, I mean, the same, essentially, but the, the cause, the essence of what one is doing, that is important uh, as such. Um, you touched upon this idea of non-materialism and uh, the non-attachment, rather, uh, to certain materialistic uh, aspects of life. And um, recently, uh, President Ramnath Kovin said, uh, Bhagwan Mahavir gave special importance to Aparagriha, um, that is not taking what is more than essential to live. Uh, and he said, uh, and I quote, uh, humankind is exploiting nature indiscriminately. Uh, ruthless consumption and accumulation of resources is increasing due to this phenomena like climate change are emerging as challenges. Following the Jain tradition shows us a way out of that, unquote. So how do you see us battling, uh, you know, this an increasingly capitalistic, uh, materialistic, I mean, capitalism is not a problem uh, in itself, possibly, uh, but the materialism, essentially, the decadence and materialism that we see, uh, that way of life in the contemporary world, how do you see us battling that, uh, you know, with the Jain thinking uh, as it stands? <clears throat> Yes, so uh, it is uh, quite necessary to uh, understand spirituality. Right. Spirituality, uh, we, our life is not just for material goals. Mm -hmm. We have some spiritual goals also. Yes. So first thing, if this can come to the mind of the people, then they can be very much limited in using the material things or keeping possessions, okay? So th this one thing. Second, we have to see that if we have to survive on the earth, we have to take care of the natural resources also. We have to give importance to their life. We have to be very much, uh, what we say, restricted in using these natural resources. So the ch climate change, global warming, 
uh, viruses all these are coming because of our luxurious way of living material way of living we are more focused on the material goal material comforts material places and not thinking about our own spiritual growth and also the preservation of nature so at least we want to live with peace and uh, health and also we need the support of nature for that so we have to think from uh, ecological point of view at least if we can't think about from uh, spiritual point of view we have to think that if we have to survive on the earth we need all these natural resources we might have a lot of money or wealth you can see uh, what we say thousands of people have lost their life in this pandemic yes. they might have all the uh, material comforts pleasures wealth etc but they could not could not get a certain amount of oxygen and because of that they have lost their life so you can see the nature is how much the nature is important in comparison to your material growth and uh, all wealth they are at one side and just for one some amount of oxygen you are losing your life no so nature is more important than the material growth or material places and if you want to survive then also you need these natural resources um, uh, in a balanced state and uh, in the acharam sutra this that is the first scripture of jainism and uh, in Mah uh, that particular scripture mahavir speaks that please be careful of natural resources earth water fire air and vegetables or plants they are very necessary for your survival if you are violating nature you are not only violating their life or the life which is dependent on them but you are also creating a threat to your own existence he is talking in the language it means if you are ignoring the life of these poor beings you are ignoring your own life and that is being proven today okay so that's why from ecological point of view we have to start thinking about uh, using the nature how much we have to use and how much we should not Absolutely. And I think the unfortunate, uh, you know, repercussions of uh, COVID and the pandemic that we've seen uh, is, has given us context, has given us a certain idea of the transience of certain uh, aspects of life and how ecology is so important to us, as you rightly mentioned. Um, and we must kind of take the, the lessons or the understanding, the insight um, that we have got from that process of reflection of, uh, you know, uh, introspection as such. Uh, before closing, uh, Samaniji, I would like you to, um, you know, tell our viewers if you have any thoughts uh, that you would like to share uh, in terms of a closing statement, in terms of, you know, what you feel we, uh, coming from a Jain perspective, can take forward in today's world uh, for the betterment of humanity. <clears throat> okay. So uh, it is a quite, uh, uh, what we say, enlightening uh, interview. And you have already asked so many things and I have discussed uh, <laughs> many things in the light of all your questions. Uh, just uh, I want to say that uh, balance, balance is the prime principle of life. Balance. Mm -hmm. And we are not just a physical body, but we are having a very divine self inside. Mm -hmm. So our life must be balanced in the sense that we should... Um, be material to some extent, but at the same time, we have to be uh, very much uh, 
intact of our inner divine self and try to listen to it what it says and try to follow what it says so that is uh, the thing i want would like to say to the world that they are material but they should also have some spiritual uh, insight in them and they, they should try to live a balanced life rather than thinking of just one side and overlooking the other side if this uh, this uh, balance can be created in our philosophical um, philosophical discussion scientific explorations day to day life then i think the whole world can be very non violent peaceful harmonious prosperous and what we are looking for to live a better life Yes, beautifully put. So thank you very much. And I think it's uh, so many, so many aspects and dimensions that we discussed today. Uh, be it the multifacetedness of reality, how uh, reality inherently kind of uh, is a certain way where uh, we should not have the dogmatic or parochial way of thinking. Uh, the whole idea of binaries and polarization is something which is inherently against what is the nature of reality as such. Uh, we discussed about nonviolence. We discussed about various social, uh, political, and economic aspects of um, you know uh, things that we see around us and the Jain way of uh, thinking thereby. Uh, so I would like to really thank you for uh, you know your enlightening uh, the enlightening words that you have shared and the insight that you have shared. Um, and we hope that this interaction will give a lot for the viewers uh, to think about and to take forward. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you. That's good.